light, but we've been, uh, the past two weekends, we've been doing a lot of travelling. We've been to and from Basingstoke the past two weekends because my baby sister has had a baby. Ah. I could have scripted that. They will all say, ah, oh, I just knew it. <laughs> Little baby Theo Henry arrived nine days ago. He's gorgeous. The first boy in the family, bringing balance to the force. We're all girls. We've now got a boy. So I've instructed them how many more boys they need to have to balance it all out. And they looked horrified. <laughs> but um, Theo Henry, he's, he's a gorgeous little baby. He's an, babies are amazing miracles, aren't they? Well, the thing with Theo, he's got this amazing head of hair. Now, his dad looks like me. His dad's brother looks like me. His granddad looks like me. My dad is just desperately trying not to look like me with this <laughs> scrape over. Don't you, Dad? Bless you, love you. So Theo's got it all against him. So he's got his fine head of hair now. I'm pretty convinced it's just because he's getting it out of the way now because he's going to have no more opportunity in just a few more years' time. It's going to go very, very quickly. Babies are amazing. Thing is, here's a question. Did Theo choose who his parents were going to be? No. Did he choose the details of his birth? How he'd be born? Where he'd be born? The circumstances surrounding his birth? Did he choose his bloodline, his genealogy? No. And yet when it comes to spiritual birth, as our, what it means to be born as a human and therefore our state before God, we think we can change the circumstances of our birth by things we do or who we are. This is humanity's response to the problem of the human condition that we're going to be talking about this morning. And yet to say about Theo, in the future he'll be able to alter the facts of who his biological parents are, sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet actually, inadvertently, we end up applying the same principle to spiritual birth as humans, trying to fix the problem. And in fact, you can't change the details of how you were originally born. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Let's have a look at Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first three verses. We're going to use this as a, as a bookend, if you like. We're going to look at the first part of this little scripture. Then we're going to dive back into John 1, where we've been over recent weeks. And then we're going to return to this passage later on. Ephesians chapter 2 for now. But in the middle we will have John chapter 1, don't worry. We will re reappear there in a sec. Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. And you, believers, this is to the church in Ephesus, but indirectly to us today as well. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul here, the writer, he's saying to the church and to us today, he's saying that without Christ, without salvation, you are by nature, the circumstances, the facts of your natural birth mean you are a child of wrath. God hates sin. He hates sin because he's a God of love. Don't confuse the two. He hates sin. So by nature, just because you're human, to begin with, by default, you're a child of wrath, or just in the previous verse, it says they're sons of disobedience. John, the writer we'll be coming back to in a minute, in one of his letters, 1 John verse 3, he says that without Christ you're sons of the devil. By nature, being human, by default, we are children of wrath, sons of disobedience, children of the devil. And yet, humanity's answer, they may not even agree with the, the details of that theology, but they recognise there is a problem with the human condition. Everybody recognises the fact that 
we are broken, we can't get things right. But how do we try and fix that problem? We try and fix it by who we are, what we do, or what others do. We try and alter the facts of our birth by rituals, by going on certain journeys, by pilgrimages, by methods, by the things we do, by the things we don't do, or who we are, depending on your race, your saved or not, your creed, your bloodline, your colour. And it all boils down to who we are, what we do, or what others do for us. That's humanity's answer to the problem of the human condition. In John, in a second we're going to read, John, in one sentence, sweeps all of those aside and leaves us with one alternative. Something that God has done. So now, John chapter 1. You're allowed to turn to John chapter 1 now. (laughs) He sweeps all those three possibilities to one side and leaves us with one more. John chapter 1, verse 11. We've been hearing about who Jesus is, eternal God, creator God, the light in the darkness, and then we hear about John the Baptist, his second cousin, who comes to prepare the way and herald Jesus' coming. And then in verse 11, it says this. He, Jesus, came to his own, the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, who you are, nor of the will of the flesh, the things you do, nor of the will of man, the things other people do for you, but of God. We just read that again. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to look at these three things that he sweeps aside. Let's just dig a bit deeper and see if any of these things kind of struck a chord with us. Either things we've, we've believed in the past, things we tried to fix in the past, or perhaps we still are. Things in our hearts, things in our minds, in our spirits. It's uh, it's going to be a list of different examples, really. Some of these things might be for other people and not for you. Some of them, I trust, will be for you and not for others. There'll be a list of things. See what hits home and just be open to what Holy Spirit might be saying. How's that? Is that okay? First of all, who we are. He says, not of the blood. People can't be saved of the blood. He's already proved it in verse 11 where he says that Jesus came to his own people, came to the Jews, and they didn't receive him. These are people of the same bloodline as him, the same nation. They didn't receive him. There was a disconnect already. You see, your ethnicity does not give you diplomatic immunity when it comes to standing, right standing before God. When it comes to sin, it comes to the the brokenness, the selfishness in each of us. The Jews were generally quite a proud people because quite often they just assumed we're the saved ones. We're the chosen people. We're saved and we're blessed. We're all right. You're in trouble. But we're Jews. We're okay. And actually that gave them a massive blind spot to what God was really saying about the human condition and what needed to be done about it. It even proves in uh, Old Testament we read stories about people like Ruth and Rahab who weren't Jews but they were drawn into God's people. They weren't of the same bloodline but God accepted them as his own. Also, that then led the way, it was a foreshadowing for the Gentiles, pretty much all of us in this room, I guess, non-Jews. The whole point was, God was using the Jews as a foreshadowing of what something greater he was going to do that wasn't just about blood. The Jews thought it was, which is why John is saying this here. See, now John the Baptist himself, 
the messenger that we heard in previous, previous Sundays. John the Baptist could have gone, I'm all right, you're in trouble, you must repent. I'm okay because I'm Jesus' second cousin. I'm from the same gene pool. He could have thought that. He could have thought, I'm all right, Jack. In fact, he doesn't. Instead, what does he say? Throughout John we see, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. He says, I'm just the messenger. He's the Messiah. He says, I'm just the best man. He's the bridegroom. Very quickly, over and over and over again, John the Baptist kept points to Jesus going, I'm the problem. <laughs> We're the problem, all of us in the same boat. He's the only one who can fix it. Your parents, who your parents are, don't allow you to attain a certain status before God. Whether they're royals, whether they're Christians, just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you are. The amount of people I come across when I used to work in the ambulance service and go and take, take people to get booked in at the hospital, take them up to the desk. What religion are you? Or C of E? Catholic. And quite often if you ask why, it's because their parents were. They were raised Catholic. They were raised Christian. Being raised Christian or Catholic does, makes no difference to your bloodstream. There's no difference to your DNA. Just because of what your parents were doesn't directly affect you. You've still got to stand on your own two feet in front of God. It makes no difference whatsoever. And in fact, Romans 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, regardless of bloodline, regardless of parentage. Your natural birth, the only difference your natural birth makes to your eternal security is that we are all doomed. If you're born as a human... You were born in sin. We, we aren't sinners because we sin. Please get this clear. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. As humans, we are born in a sinful state. We are naturally, by birth, we are morally inept. We are morally inept and therefore that allows us to understand what it means to have a human condition that is broken and that's why we tell toddlers how to be good. We don't have to teach them how to be naughty. It's already there. We aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. As a human, naturally, before God, we have no two feet to stand on. The only person deserving of living with God for eternity is God, Jesus. All of us are stuffed. Now, for us 21st century Brits, we may think this is okay, it's not really an issue for us. I can understand that that was a message for the Jews or for other races or creeds, but for us 21st century Brits, that's not really an issue we struggle with. We kind of get that, maybe. But there is a flip side to this that's worth listening to, just briefly. Also understand that your standing, your birth, your circumstances, your background, your upbringing, does not mean you're beyond his redeeming love either. It's worth listening to that. Your parentage, your background, things you've grown up through, things you've done maybe, which we'll talk about in a minute, doesn't write you off either. Because you need to understand, you should never be so proud as to assume God's mercy. Never be so proud as to assume God's mercy, but never be so proud as to assume you can't receive it either. Does that make sense? They're both a form of pride. Oh, I'm all right, Jack. I'm okay. He'll be merciful to me. I'm all right because of who I am. That's pride. God's got a problem with that. But also to say, no, I'm, I'm too much of a problem for him. 
I'm, I'm unsavable, the things I've done, who I am, how I see, my, see myself, I'm beyond his redemption. That's a form of pride, because you're, you're being the judge. I think we need to let God be the, be the judge. He is the only arbiter, the only judge, and yet he promises to save anyone who will humble themselves and accept Christ as Lord. The, 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 the playing field is levelled. We're all doomed, we're all stuffed without him, but his amazing invite of salvation is available to every single person, regardless of who you are or what you've done. You need to listen to that. That's who we are. But what about the things we do? I think this is the big problem for us Brits. What we do, or as he says in verse 13 here, the will of the flesh, the things we do to try and make up for it. If it was just verse 12, we think it was what we do. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If it stopped there, we go, okay, it's down to us to decide to believe in him and how much we believe in him and we'll turn to him and it's, it's all about what we do saves us. But no, he goes on to verse 13 to point out, it's not what you do that saves you. That's just accepting an invite. What does he mean? The things we do that we try to do to save us. Being nice. It's a British problem. The amount of friends I talk to, what makes you think you'll be alright if you stood before God? You go, well, I'm a nice person. I'm very kind. I'm generous with my time. I'm generous with my money. I look after my lonely neighbour. I think I'm alright. That doesn't fix the problem. That's just being nice. Or going the other way, denying yourself. Always putting others first. No swearing. No getting drunk. No speeding. No smoking. No watching TV with cheeky bits. As much as all of those things can be spiritually healthy, they don't save you by avoiding them. As much as being nice to your neighbour next door and trying to do more good than bad saves you. Misses the point entirely. Going to church doesn't save you. You do, you do know coming here doesn't save you. You do know that, don't you? I hope so. If not, listen. Going to church does not save you any more than going to an aquarium every Sunday makes you a fish. It's the same problem. It's exactly the same principle. Going to quick fit on a regular basis doesn't make you a car. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Sometimes we need to hear that. How much you read your Bible or how much you pray doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't save you. Or some of you might need to hear this, how little you read your Bible or how little you pray doesn't write you off as a Christian either. God doesn't gauge how saved you are by how much you read your Bible or get on bended knee. You need to listen to that. Because again, that's missing the point. Get stuck into your Bible, pray, get to know him more, abide in him, keep going. But don't think that convinces him more or less. Does that make, does that make sense? Baptism doesn't save you. I've known people who've been baptised and it turned out they weren't Christians, they weren't saved. They were just going through the motions. I've got a friend when I was growing up in my original church. Uh, a friend, she was just a few years older than me. I was there at a baptism amongst other people. She got saved. She, she, she told a story about how she got saved. She told her testimony. She got baptised. A few years later, she was nowhere with Christ. And actually now she admits she's not saved. She never even believed it at the time. It's just because her friends were doing it. She went through it and she knew all the right things to say. Baptism doesn't save you. 
Baptism is an outward expression, a public declaration of what Christ has done on the inside. It, as an act, does not save you. Intellectual agreement doesn't save you. How far from your brain to your, from your head to your heart? About a foot can be one of the longest journeys in the world. Intellectual agreement doesn't save you. You can read the Bible and believe it is a historical document and a lot of these things happen and you can agree what the message is and it will make sense and you can rationalise about the evidence for the resurrection and all that. None of that saves you unless you repent before Christ as your Saviour and Lord and let him take the controls of your life. The devil knows and agrees with the Bible more than you do. Think about it. He doesn't deny there is a God. He'll try and whisper lies in your ears, but he knows exactly who Jesus is. And he knows the Bible inside out far more than you do. He's been around for a bit longer. Is he saved? Of course not. Because he won't get on bending knee before Christ as Saviour. He's an angel, don't get the theology mixed, but you understand the principle about the heart condition. Intellectual agreement doesn't save you. Here's one more. Many people think keeping the rules can save you. The flip side of that is many people think breaking the rules, living outside of the rules can save you. I'm free, I'm not bound by tradition, by law, by spiritual do's and don'ts. I'm free just to be who I am and enjoy God's goodness. And this kind of, It becomes an assumption before God that you're living the way he wants you to. It's actually about yourself again and it's actually about performance-based salvation. Still about the things you do or don't. None of these things can save you. I don't know if any have struck home or hit home with anyone, but all of these things, the things you do and the things you don't, it's about thinking you can tip the scales before God. The trouble is, that minimises sin and minimises God's holiness. Because any slight against God any slight is an insurmountable stain. When you recognise how holy and awesome and perfect God is, that's what holy means, other. There's no other like him. He's set apart just by his character, his state. When you recognise how perfect, you can't get any more perfect. Any slight against him that dishonours him is an insurmountable stain, even if you think it's just a small little sin, a white lie, rather than murder. We give degrees to sin, don't we? Anything is a stain when it's dishonouring a God who is that holy, that awesome, that beautiful, that perfect, that awesome. See, it would be like thinking we could plug up the hole in the ozone layer with as much candy floss as we can muster. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, actually, thinking we can make up for any sin against a holy God is exactly the same. It's like trying to fix the melting ice caps with as many ice cubes as we can find. Or leaning accidentally on the launched nuclear missile button and then thinking you can clear up the resulting mess with a dustpan and brush. We need, we, need to, we need to be aware of this. Thinking you can make up for your sin diminishes how holy God is 
and how offensive our sin is to him. It makes us the judge and we think we get to decide how big the problem is and how much we need to do to make up for it. Does that make sense? That's what we do. There's one more, just briefly, is what others do for us. We can't rely on others. People do. Some of us in this room may have done or still do. Priests, relying on priests as the holy man with the hotline to God. Relying on their advice to save you. Gurus, spiritual gurus. Saints, praying to saints. They can't save you. Self-help experts. How many self-help books on the sections in our bookshops? They're everywhere. I tell you, I've, I've, I mean, I've said this to them. Some of my friends who read the most self-help books I've ever come across, their lives are in the biggest messes. They may be reading these books because their lives are in a mess, but years later their lives are still in a mess. There is some value sometimes. There are things we can, we can glean, we can master for discipline and so on. There are helpful books out there. I'm not dissing them all. But some people rely on them to fix the problems in their life. And they just still go through circles and circles because it's an outside-in tra- trying to get things fixed, what's going on inside. You need an inside-out transformation. Who your parents are, as we said before, doesn't, doesn't change a job before God about where you get to stand. Listen to this. If your works can't save you, therefore, other people's works can't save them, so how can their works save you. It's the same problem. Other people can't save you. Don't rely on them. Don't rely on me as your pastor for your spiritual life. I have a responsibility to care for you spiritually. Absolutely. I've got a double accountability before God. So is John and so is David. Sorry to remind you. We have a double accountability before God about how we led our, led our lives before him but how we cared for you, our spiritual responsibility for your spiritual health. But the primary responsibility for your spiritual health lays on your, in your lap. Don't rely on other people to save you. So, if natural birth can't save you, and the things you do or the things you don't can't save you, or other people can't save you, and yet, as we've discovered, by our natural birth we're all stuffed, we're all doomed, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. We need a rebirth, don't we? John 3. John chapter 3, just a couple of chapters ahead. There's a lovely story where Jesus is approached by a Jewish ruler who asks this very question. John 3, right at the beginning. Now, there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Is a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, this is a natural question. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, natural birth means you're a human, and the spirit, supernatural birth, a rebirth, he cannot enter 
the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. How many people were born of water? How many people, are we all human in this room? Just check in. How many humans? Is there anybody who's not human? We're all good. Glad to hear it. Or we'd have had problems. <laughs> no genetic splicing going on. We are all human. By default, when we were born, we were born in a sinful state. We were born with a broken moral ineptitude. And we have all, as a result, sinned. Yes? We've all lied. We've all thought thoughts that we wouldn't dare tell anyone else. We've all got secrets, haven't we? We've all looked at things or done things. We are all sinners and we have all sinned. How many people have been born again by the Spirit? Praise God. Praise God. That is the only way you can be right before God, is a spiritual birth, a rebirth before God. And that is why in John chapter 1, John says, before sweeping aside all the other possibilities, he said, but to all who did receive in verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's the spiritual rebirth right there. What, who once were children of wrath, sons of disobedience, sons of the devil, when you believe in Christ as Saviour and what he's done on the cross on your behalf for that, that horrible, insurmountable stain of sin that you have caused and created, he did that for you. When you believe in him, you repent Give your life over to him. Allow him to be the Lord and Saviour of your life because of what he has done. Right at that moment, you are born again of the Spirit and you become no longer a child of wrath or disobedience but a child of God. Hallelujah. There's children of God in the house. Praise God. Absolutely. So now, back to Ephesians 2, just to end. This just reinforces the same fact. It's good to hear it from different angles. It's exciting. We're going to read from the beginning again and then carry on and see what Paul says. Ephesians chapter 2, from the beginning, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We get that now, don't we? In which you once walked. We're slaves to it. We couldn't break free from it. There's nothing we could do to fix it. Following the course of this world, because everybody else is going in the same direction. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a spiritual activity as well as natural among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, undeserved favour, love that pays a price, you have been saved through faith. Amen. And this is not your own doing. So you keep getting reminded over and over again, this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amazing? Is that exciting? Give him a round of applause. I think he deserves that. Isn't it amazing?
If you are saved by the Spirit, you're no longer a child of wrath, you're a child of God. Remind yourself every day. We forget it, don't we? We forget it. How's your day been? Oh, it's been rubbish, really. You're a child of God. It's been brilliant. You get excited. We need to remind ourselves, don't we? I do it as well. It's a bit rubbish. It's like, do you realise who you are? <laughs> get excited about it. If you're a Christian, you need to hear this. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. He's got great purposes for us to do. As his children, he invites us into the family business. And we've got things to do. Get excited, roll your sleeves up, get stuck in. But you are not saved by works. One more thing. If you're a believer, sometimes people worry about the question, can I lose my salvation? I've, I've spoken at length about this before. But just one quick, quick thing. If you weren't saved by what you did, by what you do, how can you undo it? I'll leave that with you, but just to put your mind at rest. If you are saved, always saved. He won't let you go. If you couldn't fix the problem of what you do, you can't unfix it. Does that make sense? Just rest assured. If you are saved, always saved. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I just urge you to reconsider everything you've heard just now. Who you are makes not a jot of difference before God. By natural birth, you are a sinner. And you probably have sinned, I'm sure. And you will continue sinning. There is a problem inside that you cannot fix. There is only one big enough, powerful enough, God enough to fix that. That's Jesus Christ himself. I don't know if something struck you about when I was listening to the things you do or don't do that you try and fix the problem or try and sort out the, the issues in your life. Try and get a right standing before God. If any of those things are struck with you, speak to God about it. Bring them to the cross. Recognise that even the things we do to try and fix stuff before God in themselves are sinful because it's not honouring him because it's missing the point. Just search the secrets in your heart and speak to him about it. Natural transformation won't save you. That's outside in and it will never penetrate deep enough. But only supernatural transformation will save us. That's an inside out and only Christ can do that we're going to sing a song and then I'll just pray on the back of that we're going to sing